0: He said to me very calmly, there's pressure on your third and fifth optic nerve. And he said, oh, maybe a tumour. And I laughed. And then when I drove back to work, I kind of drove back slowly and thought, I need to do a bit of a self-check because I've been checking on everybody else. And it was really funny because although I had a household full of children at home, my first thought was, what what are my staff going to do? Like, I can't be sick. (laughs) We don't have time for this. There's so much going on. My name
1: is Teresa Hudson and I'm the coordinator at the Community Information Centre. In today's podcast, I sit with Tiffany Hopkins for part two of our chat. In the last episode, Tiffany spoke about her role with Prospect Community Services in Charters Towers and told us about how COVID wreaked havoc with the organisation's ability to help the community. What Tiffany didn't say was that she had significant health concerns that she was dealing with at the same time, which required incredible amount of courage and faith to be able to hope for the best possible outcome. She was only able to get through it with the wraparound of supports and services from family, friends, and her community. The Community Information Centre acknowledges the Gujul, Woolgarugaba and Bindal people as the traditional custodians of the land where this podcast was created. We pay our respect to elders past, present and future. So you are a mum of seven mm. children. Yep. Are you finished?
0: Yes, yes. Um, look, I don't know if that would have been my choice, but it, it, is, it, it is what it is now. You come now. from a Catholic family. Yeah, I don't know that he had much to do with it. <laughs> oh God, I think. <laughs> are there any twins in there?
1: No. All no. singles. Yeah. How, what ages do they range from?
0: So my eldest child is 27 and um, our youngest is 15 months.
1: Wow. Yeah. So what's life been like in between first and last? Because
0: you've done it all here in Charters Towers. No, we. Um, my husband's in mining. So, uh, well, it was in mining until recently. So for many years we moved around with our children. And the way that contracts were in the coal back then, it, they were about, you know, up to two years was the longest contract that, that you would do. We had our own um, contracting company. So we probably moved every 18 months with the children, um, which was frowned upon by a lot of people, but they were very peoplely children and that you just integrated into new schools very well. So. Why do you
1: think it was frowned upon?
0: I think a lot of people feel that when you put your child in a school, they're there for the duration, and that wasn't what our, our children's experience was. When you say, oh, my child's been to five schools and they're in eighth grade, people kind of <laughs> look at you strangely. But do you think that helped build resilience with absolutely. them and character? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't Did know Did they that, see that at the time? At the time, I think, you know, obviously, like anyone, you miss your friends and the people that you've made um, contacts with. But as adults, they actually really, they all have itchy feet. They love to travel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. yeah.
1: We mentioned earlier, and you were drawn into Prospect because of personal experiences. Mm-hmm.
0: What were they? I was actually um, approached by someone about joining the board uh, seven years ago. But previous to that, I'd worked for um, the Chartersdale's Neighbourhood Centre back in, I think it was about 95, 96, and I worked as the family daycare coordinator here. So I already had a relationship uh, with. Prospect or the neighbourhood centre as it was then. And I wasn't working at the time. It was probably the longest period that I had not worked in my life. When we moved here, it was to put our children into secondary college. And when we moved back here, I should say, because we spent a lot, you know, I came here and then moved away and then came back. Um, and I wanted to give back to the community in some way, but I wasn't working full time, so I had the time. And um, it was always been a keen interest of mine. and. So I said, yeah, sure, I reckon I can do that. I have no idea what that looks like to be a director. Um, But, you know, by then, obviously, um, the neighbourhood Centre had evolved into to prospect what it is now. So I had a lot to learn. So I made a commitment to do some study at that point. So um, I needed to know what each of the services was that we were providing to the community so that I could understand what our staff were doing. So... um, I'd had lots of children, obviously, and I was used to being awake late at night. So I used to stay up and study from sort of 11 o'clock to one o'clock in the morning and and just do course after course so I could make sure that what I was giving back to the community was actually meaningful. What were you studying? Uh, I did my Diploma in Business Governance to start with. Um, then I did my Domestic and Family Violence course as well. Um, so anything that I could grab that was meaningful to the work that I was doing. Studying as a mum mm.
1: and you were in a volunteer capacity. Mm-hmm. But still, while it's a volunteer capacity, it's still yeah. um, a responsibility.
0: Yep. How did you juggle that? Because that is a mammoth effort. Oh, look, I think because I have quite a few children. Um, you run your home a bit like an army camp anyway. So uh, everything is done um, to a schedule, you know. You wash your sheets on this day and I have two washing machines so you can get through the fact that you have eight beds in a house and that kind of thing. So, uh, and I, I... I don't sleep a lot, so for me, night, night time is perfect. Sleep's overrated. Yeah, yeah. I could about five hours and I'm good, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you get up to babies so often for so many years, it you know, you realise you don't need work. as much as people tell you you need. <laughs> <laughs> sleep, bathing, <Yeah. laughs> peace and quiet. What go do you do Go into the, for go peace go and the bathroom quiet. on your own. Oh, look, I have a very large greenhouse, so uh, I built a... 17 meter by 4 meter greenhouse off the entire front of my house, um, under the guise of the the fact that that's the western side and it was too hot, so that's how I sold that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I garden a lot. And you disappear lot, down yeah. To there. Yeah, yeah, and I um, you know do a lot of art and painting and all kinds of stuff as well. So yeah. Do so yeah. you paint as well? Yeah, in my spare time. Did Did you have a health scare? Yes. Um, can we talk about that? Yeah, we can. So uh, I guess if we go back to the day I received the call from the department to say that we had to close the doors, that was on a Wednesday. Um, I contacted um, the gentleman who'd been our acting CEO and sort of spoke to him and said, you know, what's that looking like for you in Harvey Bay? And and he he said, oh, how are you coping? And, you know, it was such an inundation of emails and phone calls all immediately. And I, I jokingly said to him, oh, God, it might be a tumour. And that was a joke at that point. Um, there, there was a lot of pressure, lots and lots of pressure. So every day you had to answer to somebody about what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then keeping your own staff in check and making sure they're okay. It was another big part of every day. So I um, had a bit of trouble with my vision. So I made an appointment to see a lovely gentleman named Tom in our community just to have that checked up on. And I was working very long days. So I was doing probably 13 hours a day at that stage. Were you putting it down to stress? I was also pregnant at the time. (laughs) So I went, oh, I've probably got some complication due to pregnancy and had gestational diabetes. So um, I blamed that. I don't know why, but I thought oh, maybe my eyes are playing up because of that. So I went and saw Tom and um, he said to me very calmly, I th- there's pressure on your on your third and fifth optic nerve. And I jokingly said to him, you know, what do you mean pressure? What is that I look like? I've got pressure like? going on everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh, maybe a tumour. And I laughed. And then when I drove back to work, I kind of drove back slowly and thought, oh, I've been so busy. What have I not noticed? And when I went to park the car, I realised I had no depth perception. And I thought, I need to do a bit of a self-check because I've been checking on everybody else. Mm. So I went to walk up the front stairs at work and there's only about five steps. And again, I thought, oh, I can't really tell how deep the stairs are, which was really strange. And I thought, oh, I might need to investigate this a bit further, but I've got things to do. (laughs) So I rang my midwife at the hospital here and um, she said, come and see me tomorrow. So I did. And when I saw her, she couldn't explain the symptoms that I was talking about and she asked if our medical superintendent, Francois, could come in. So within about an hour he said, I'd like to book you in to have um, a scan done at the Marta in Townsville. So a few hours later he'd arranged that to be on the Sunday. So I drove down on the Sunday thinking I was just going for a scan and uh, they did the first lot of scans and the radiographer was working from home because everybody was by that stage. And he rang me and said, look, there might be a blood clot. I'm not sure, but we're just going to do some more scans if that's okay. And i was still in town. Yeah, I was still at the hospital. I was just um, sitting in the change room, actually. They told me not to get changed. And as soon as she said, don't get changed, I just need to make a phone call. I thought, "Mm, something's not okay here. So then they did some more scans and uh, he asked me to wait again. And within about 40 minutes or so... Um, he rang again and we spoke to him on the phone and he said, can you just, have you got someone with you? I said, yeah, my husband's here. He's in the waiting room. So he came in and he said, you need to go straight to Townsville University Hospital to have a CT scan. And it was really funny because although I had a household full of children at home, my first thought was, what, is my, what are my staff going to do? Like, I can't be sick. <laughs> we don't have time for this. There's so much going on. So... I went outside and sat on the curbing for a while and had a bit of a think about what I needed to do and contacted the board of directors and said, you know, this is happening. And then the gentleman who had been our acting CEO, I rang him in Harvey Bay and said, I actually need a favour. I need you to come back and act for me. So I just rang him and and, and contacted the board and said, can I do this? Because this is not a time where my people can't have someone sitting in a chair. Mm. So... um, And I I didn't know at that stage definitively, but I had enough of an idea to go, this is fairly serious. So um, I went straight to Townsville University Hospital. I was 34 weeks pregnant and um, they did the scans and at about eight o'clock that night, um, had someone from the neurosurgical team come in and and say, you um, have a brain tumour. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. That would have been fucking scary. Yes, it was. So you had no symptoms up until your eye vision was a bit blurry.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. So what happened then? I was moved to a surgical ward and… Um, they didn't let you go home? No, no, I wasn't able to go home Did at all. Did you take all? a bag with you? Nothing. Nothing. Because in your
1: head, you were going back. You were going back to make lunches tomorrow for the kids. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And go to work. Um, so I had nothing with me at all. Um, so uh, that was a, quite a long night, as you can imagine. And weirdly enough, one of my first thoughts also was, I don't even have my laptop with me, which was just stupid. But no, it's well, you know, you're still it's in that not, mode. That's of, me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was like, how am I going to do any work? Um, which is crazy, but. Um, I is work your
1: escape? Do you use work as an escape from home and then home as
0: an escape from work? I think, um, you know, when you have a role, when you're leading people and then, they, you know, something like COVID-19 happens, you don't feel like you can check out. Mm. You know, there's it's – and our job is on – we're on call 24 hours a day as well. So it was that process of going through every service that we deliver and going – What do I do here? So who steps up here? Who takes on this? Who takes on that? And making sure that I could communicate all that to the right people. And very quickly, because I didn't know what the next few weeks was going to look like for me. So um, my vision was getting worse every day. My eye actually completely closed. Um, So, And the vision I did have after about another three or four days was in one eye I had double vision, but it was up and down. It wasn't side by side. So I had very little vision. And it got to the point where I could see outlines but no detail. Mm. So – and that happened very, very quickly. So the estrogen from my pregnancy was making the tumour grow very quickly. Right. Yeah. So there was a treatment plan for that but there was also a a baby that was still six weeks off being born and what did that look like. So there was – a neurosurgical team working on one part and then there was um, an obstetrics team working on the other part. How'd that go getting those two teams to work together? Oh, look I don't want to take away anything from the the, um, the service that I received in that time but the communication was a little bit um, scary at times you know I, I had a, a, um, a doctor walk in and say you know like we're going to leave you for another two weeks, and then you can deliver naturally. and And it was it was funny again. You know, I used to work in tourism here, and we always say that everybody's connected to Chartles Towers in some way. And this lovely gentleman who was the um, I can't remember his exact title. I think it's like the director of nursing for that ward, um, Ben Lee. He used to work here at Eventide. and he was standing in the room with me and. When they walked out, he said to me, are you okay with what they've just said? And I said, no, because I think I'll be dead in two weeks. I don't think I can carry this baby for two more weeks and then deliver it naturally. I think giving birth will probably kill me. That's, that's the feeling I get from my neurosurgical team. So he called the neurosurgical team back down and said, "You know, this is the information this lady's just been given. And, and they went back and held a meeting with the obstetrics team because I had already been placed on the uh, list for an emergency seizure the next day. So they were just giving me steroid injections to develop the baby's lungs very quickly. Um, And they were only willing to leave that for two days. So, yeah. And in the interim, I was having more scans almost every day. And on the Tuesday, um, Jess walked back into my room, um, quite late in the evening, she just finished a long day of surgery and said, I oh, we need to have a chat. We've actually found a second tumour. So yes, it wasn't growing at the same rate as the other one. It was seemed to be um, just there, <laughs> but they'd found a second tumour. so which pointed, I guess, to a genetic link more than anything, because it's it's rare for someone to have more than one. So, so when did you deliver Bub? Um, I was scheduled to go in on the 1st of April, April Fools, and I thought, how fitting. <laughs> and then that was cancelled and so he was born on the 2nd of April. Yeah. They wanted to give me another day of injections before he was born. And his delivery? My first C-section ever. <laughs> um, I highly. Did you get to stay awake for it? I did, I did. Um, I just, to all the ladies out there... It's, it's all about choice, but I would never do that again. <laughs> I found I found the recovery quite harrowing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so my husband was in there. I didn't know that he would cope with that. He faints if someone cuts their fingers. So I thought that was going to be quite a big day for him. <laughs> How'd he <you> go? <laughs> he did really well, really, really well. And I think um, there was so much going on. You, d- you just didn't have time to lose. Mm you know, to lose yourself. You really didn't. We were we were being... And, and we were in there during COVID lockdown in the hospital too. So the ruling at that time was that he could only be with me for one hour in the morning and one hour uh, in the evening. And um, I wasn't having that. <laughs> so I advocated very hard for myself around the fact that when you have a full team of surgeons come in and, and doctors, et cetera, and they're talking to you and you're very traumatised by what they're telling you, that you hear probably the first three sentences and then you hear nothing else. You're still thinking back here and people are still talking. Mm. And I said it was really important for my husband to be in the room while they were delivering new information to me so that he could actually write that down. And then we could go back to that and have that discussion all over again after they left the room. And then for him to be able to go back and ask further questions once I thought about what those questions needed to be. So, um, you know, Townsville Hospital again were amazing. I, I know that that wasn't the ruling at the time, but for me, I couldn't not have a support person in that space. 100%. Yeah. You hadn't been
1: home by the stage to see your kids. Had they been mm. allowed to come up and see mm. you?
0: No, um, they hadn't. And because I have some children who are older and who've left home, they live all over the country. So uh, my daughter... Hayley is a geologist in the Northern Territory, so she flew in very quickly and took over the house. So she she became mum while mum wasn't there. It's the beauty of having so many kids,
1: yeah, in this, isn't it?
0: yeah. So um, she got a little village there. Absolutely, and they were, they were incredible. They would you know, it must have been very scary for them. Yeah, yeah. So how long did bub did bub get to stay with you in hospital the whole time? He was in NICU, um, and then he was in special care and. The hard part about that is no one could see him except myself and my husband. So the children didn't see their sibling for quite a while. You know, I think my poor phone's got about 6,000 photos. And and for me as well, I, I would say to my husband every day, take a photo, take a photo of this, take a photo of that. And I think he got fatigued by it all, but I couldn't see my baby, if that made sense. So I could see his outline, but I couldn't see him. Mm. I... Not to take away your
1: story, but to um, understand where you're coming from, I've had a similar, very similar experience. Mm. And well, then you're doing well to hold it together. Um, the exact same thing, you have a tumour, but mm. mine didn't end up being a tumour. Mm. So um, I have multiple sclerosis, mm. the same thing, my eye vision. Isn't
0: went. it? And that's not how you would even think to find out, you know? You just.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, um, my husband also works in the mines, and um, it's um, challenging. Not knowing your husband, but he's always had a job that works away. Yeah. I'm guessing you've been the main person in the family that steers the ship. Yep. All of a sudden that role reversed a bit where you said he had to be there to help advocate for you and take those messages on and relay them and take that information on, probably relay information back home. What did that look like for him or how did that go, you
0: having to hand those reins over? I think and this sounds terrible, but my three eldest children are all girls and very well versed in you know, because that would have been really hard yeah. for him. Like, yeah, and and he he was, you know, stressing about me and stressing about them and and I think you know a lot of people as couples kind of have this idea of what life's going to look like until your end day, and my husband's twelve years older than I am, and and for him he struggled with the fact that he might lose his wife. Mm. Especially
1: if you've been that constant. Mm. How did he go at stepping up?
0: Look, again, thankfully, because of the girls. They guided him through they, that, do yeah, you think? Oh, look. And, you know, he went home and checked on them um, at least once a week because we were in there for quite a period of time. And he'd come back and go, you know, they've just got it all under control. like <laughs> you know? um, But he was going home and as a family, they were preparing meals for me as well to take back to the hospital. So I received all these little care packages with um, – they'd done them all up in little takeaway containers and the kids had written messages on all the lids and, you know, I mean, they were amazing. Credit to you for raising such strong girls. Yeah, they're good people. <laughs> so I never cared what they were when they grew up as long as they were good people. Yeah, cool. Do you want to talk about what next what,
1: – what treatment did you receive or how did they tackle – your two new tumors so what
0: was treatment like or what was next steps medically to make sure you were okay um so as soon as um my son was born they started me on a high dose steroid so um, my team was fairly certain but not 100% that my tumors were meningioma so non-cancerous Um, But they didn't know that definitively. They had to wait until we started the treatment to be able to um, see whether it reacted to that treatment and then that would give them a better idea of what was going on. So surgery was talked about as an option um, and uh, I felt like at the time that the neurosurgical team was trying to give me time with my son before they made a decision to do that. Um, it was in a bit of a tricky position, um, the main tumour. So they had concerns as well, I guess, about um, that surgery and wanted to look at a non-surgical option first. So started um, a course of dexamethasone and um, and played a waiting game essentially for a while. So What did that mean in starting treatment and medication
1: for you being able to nurse bub?
0: Um, I could they, so when they chose the um, the steroid drug they chose one that I could still um, feed him but um, he was in a whole other ward which was the first time I'd ever experienced that too having a baby in a hospital but who was a long way from where you were I really struggled with that it's not for me it wasn't natural to have my baby a long way away I've um, I don't think
1: it's natural for anyone yeah
0: and that and, and I'm been really I'm not a very good stayer in hospital, so I've been known to, you know, have a baby and leave the same day. Um, I'm I'm very comfortable being at home and and I've been very lucky. I haven't had too many issues. So um, just to be in the hospital for a long period of time was really tough too. In amongst trying to feed him though, I had lots of appointments. So with ophthalmology around my eye and um, surgical and um, so... And recovering from a C-section. And recovering from C-section. So trying to meet, I guess, the expectation of the special care unit was difficult as well. Um, they wanted you to be there at set times to feed and I couldn't always do that because I had to balance what I had to do for myself medically with caring for my son. Um, had you allow
1: yourself to tap out from work at this point? Um,
0: <laughs> not really. I tried very hard. Um... But I was still keeping in contact with people here. Not as often. I did try and it it probably took me the first two weeks really to do that.
1: It sounds like that's just the person you are, the caring person who makes sure you're checking in on everyone else.
0: Yeah, and I I still wanted to communicate with everybody that I was okay because I didn't think they needed that extra layer of of worry. Mm. You know, they had a lot going on. Um, And there are a lot of people that I work with that – um, I've known for a very long time as well, so you know they had concerns as not just their you know their, their leader but as as their friend, so it was important to let them know that i was I was doing okay, and the baby was doing okay, everyone loves a baby so absolutely <laughs> yeah
1: so how did treatment work for you and tumor
0: um, Is it... initially not not very quickly um so there was I guess, a lot of question marks hanging over whether or not it was going to uh, be effective. Um, I think I left hospital about 23 days after he was born. Um, By day 17, I was covered from my knees up in bruises from injections, like lots of injections every day. My arms, you know, going in and having scans and... um, I I looked terrible. I felt terrible. And uh, it was day 17. I remember saying to someone in special care, I actually need to talk to somebody. And the response was, can't you wait till you go home and speak to your GP? And I said, no, actually I can't. I said, I've, you know, in the last 17 days my whole life has changed and I need to speak to someone today. So... um, In hindsight, I I think about that moment and think about all the people who probably wouldn't have the gall (laughs) or the strength to, to push for that, but I think there are people in there who are going through all sorts of incredible journeys every single day, and that should almost be a given that those people speak to someone about that. If they could change one thing about the service that people receive in a hospital, it would be that they're provided with an opportunity to speak to someone about what they're feeling in that moment.
1: Did you get to see someone?
0: I did. She was, she was very lovely. And, um, you know, there was moments where I um, felt that staff were frustrated with me because I couldn't do things, you know, this is your second baby but you're struggling to dress your baby. And I remember saying to a nurse one day, I'm not actually in here having a holiday. I'm in here because I have two brain tumours and I can't see my baby properly. But because the different wards don't speak to each other, mm-hmm. those nurses would have no idea. So I'm trying to put a onesie on a, a premature <laughs> baby and couldn't see the buttons, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. How are you today? Really good. I um, My uh, scans are pushed out to a year apart. and uh,
1: Is your tumour still there?
0: It is still there.
1: So has the steroids worked so far?
0: Yeah, I think I was probably six weeks in, somewhere around there, um, when my eyes started to open up again. Um, when I did come home, it was because I pushed to come home, I, I really needed to be around my children and I felt like m- myself and my newborn child weren't really thriving in hospital. So um, I, pretty well, I pretty well gave him the speech about, uh, you know, knowing what my rights were and we were going home. So <laughs> So we did. And uh, he, he failed to put on weight in hospital. He didn't thrive at all and from the moment we got home um, and I had put together a care plan for myself before I had approached the subject and said, well, I've already spoken to my midwife and I've spoken to this and I've done this and done that. And this is all the things I've put in place and I'm going home. So from the, from the moment we got home, he started to put on weight significantly. Um, every week he would put on a good amount of weight and um, him and I were both a lot happier in our own nest. So... Um, yeah. And your tumours, are they benign? Yes. It's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. So their, um, their diagnosis was correct. They, um, meningioma. Um, so yeah, I was very fortunate. Very fortunate. How long did you have off before you went back to work?
1: You sound like a workaholic who's very passionate oh. about space. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, about 10 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we were still in COVID lockdown as a service then. We're still, you know, working every day, but the doors were closed. So for me, I guess COVID was a bit of a blessing because I actually took my son to work with me every day for the first six months of his life. So uh, he grew up as a a prospect baby. So he went to board meetings at a very young age. That's (laughs) very cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're very well supported.
1: This is a very supportive little community. Just being here the last couple of days and last week, um, it's very much
0: shining through. Mm -hmm. We are lucky. We're very lucky.
1: Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.